so excited about what we're about to also launch this morning. And that is this amazing, wonderful study from God's Word of the book of Revelation. So would you, would you turn there this morning? Um, we're going to particularly focus on chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'm introducing the book with a lot of joy and with a, with a significant amount of trembling. Uh, this is a fantastic study. And um, we've called it the triumph of the Lamb. And I want to give you a little bit of the background between why that's the kind of the subtitle of the series, the triumph of the Lamb. Uh, Revelation uses the verb form of the word Nike, Nike, yes, Nike, 17 times throughout the book of Revelation. It's the most that's used in the New Testament in one book. And uh, so just so you'll know, John wasn't talking, John didn't have this, this prophecy of an athletic shoe company that would one day come. The word Nike is a Greek word for victory. It's a Greek word for conquering, for overcoming opposition and adversity. Anybody need that? In Greek mythology, Nike is the winged goddess of victory. And the shoe company developed their logo from the goddess wing, which was said to make a sound like a swoosh. <laughs> I'm hoping you're going to remember way more important things than the way I'm starting this this morning. But anyway, the point is that the theme of victory is why I, I chose to subtitle this series, The Triumph of the Lamb, which actually comes from Scripture itself. So if you look at your notes, uh, it comes from Scripture itself. They will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them, for He is our Lord of lords and our King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Oh, it's just such good news for our hearts. And I would also be remiss if I didn't point out that the triumph of the Lamb is also a commentary on Revelation. It's the name of a commentary by Dennis Johnson. It's one of the, the several commentaries that I'm using to study. Um, so with the theme of Christ's triumph in mind and how he shares that triumph with all those who are his people, let's read our text for this morning and pray. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're coming before you. We are wanting your word to be written on our hearts. Uh, God, we're, we're wanting the triumph of the Lamb to not be a mere title of a series or just a phrasing about Jesus. We want the glory of Christ's triumph to permeate all that we say and do. And we want the experience of Christ's triumph to be our day-to-day -day reality as we face COVID, as we face instability in governments, as we, as we face just the, just the labors of love, of, of marriage and parenting and, and seeking to glorify you in education and vocation. Oh God, so many of us this morning came in probably more aware of where we feel defeated than where there's victory. So would you change that? Please God, speak to us. And, and may this introduction bring you praise and bring your people hope. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our leadership team, I need to, to tell you, I'm sorry guys, I'm allergies and taking decongestants and it dries me out. And just one second. Guys, our leadership team has been so blessed by your enthusiasm for the start of our series in the book of Revelation. 
thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for giving us feedback. So let me ask you a follow-up question, okay? This is those times when I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and ask you this. What is it about Revelation that you're most excited about? So you're excited. That's great. (laughs) But I'd love to know what is it that you're most excited about in this particular study? Why Why has it stirred you in the way that it has? I'm guessing there are many different answers to that question. Maybe you're concerned about the signs of the times we're living in. Maybe you're concerned about the state of our country and the state of the world. And you want to know what Revelation has to say about the times that we're living in. You might be a person with a vivid imagination. And you're really looking forward to studying the symbolism of Revelation. Especially the beasts with many eyes. The locusts with human faces. The the beast himself. The false prophet. The whore of Babylon. The dragon. And who in the world is that dude called 666? Maybe someone else is hoping to learn a specific timeline of end-time events so you could get a little sense of just how close Christ's return is and what things need to take place before he comes. You might have come from a tradition that showed you old movies like a series called A Thief in the Night that tried to scare you by how horrible it'll be for everyone who misses out on the rapture. Maybe you're wondering about all that is going on politically, both in our country and other countries. Particularly, what is the story about Israel? Some may wonder if the pandemic can be found in Revelation. And if so, what does it tell us? Others may be looking forward to what we're going to teach about the millennium. And and which of the three main views are we going to (laughs) take? These might be some. There might be some, actually, who are not that that much looking forward to Revelation. The the thought of studying this book has not maybe promoted a lot of enthusiasm because for you, it's been a book that's just been too difficult to understand. Or maybe you've been around with other people and it's caused more division between people than delight. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, you feel like it's portraying a future that is so frightening. It's easier just not to think about it. Those would all be reasons that that we would be familiar with and aware of and experience some of them ourselves. And Well, let me ask you then this question. How many of us have had the thought that we wanted to study through Revelation because we're hungry for this book to pastor our souls? I just want you to let that land on you for a minute. How many of us have looked to Revelation to help us grow in Christ-like maturity and mission? Has Revelation been a go-to book for us to help us persevere through opposition and suffering or to help us endure temptation to sin without giving in to it? Has this book been a resource to increase our courage to follow Christ, even unto death? Or as an inspiration to inspire us to worship Christ with greater passion than we ever knew could come out of us. (laughs) I've been a follower of Christ for 43 years and a pastor for almost 35 years. And I don't think I have ever heard anyone say that they look to the book of Revelation to pastor their hearts, including me. I have a simple point to communicate to you from our introduction to Revelation this morning. And it will be the main point of the sermon. And here's the main point. You can see it in your notes. God intends to bless our study of Revelation by using the book to pastor us toward a greater intimacy with Christ, maturity in Christ, and mission for Christ, all because of the victory He won for us at the cross. God intended revelation to pastor you more than to prophesy to you. It's prophet, there's prophecy, but even the prophecy is meant to pastor us. God intended revelation to shepherd our souls more than didn't just give us a timeline to show us a timeline about the the return of Christ. God intended revelation to grow your faith and calm your fears. God intended revelation to increase your holiness and give you unshakable hope. 
God intended revelation to root you in your heavenly security in Christ's victory at the cross when all of your earthly sources of happiness have failed you. And because of that, this series will be valuable for you. If you're facing any kind of opposition for being a Christian in your family or in your school or at your work, It'll be valuable if you're experiencing discouragement and trying to persevere as a Christian against the world or the flesh or the devil. It'll be valuable if you are sometimes fearful because of what's currently happening in the world and the governments of the world. It'll be valuable if you're tempted to just give up or give in or just, you're weary, you're just weary of doing good. Revelation provides us with gospel truths that will help us better apply and put on the armor of God in spiritual warfare. So to repeat the main point once more, God intends to bless our study of Revelation by using the book to pastor us toward a greater intimacy with Christ, maturity in Christ, and mission for Christ. And all because Christ is already one the victory at the cross. So let's unpack verses 1 through 3 together. Our first point this morning is Revelation reveals the victory of Christ from the cross to his coming again. So that whole time span is victory. But, but it's rooted at the cross. And so we, we hope and want, we're going to work hard for you to see that week after week as we study this wonderful book. So from verse 1, we learn about what the book is about. It's a wonderful introduction to us that we don't want to just rush past because it tells us a lot, of, not just about what is coming ahead, but how to understand and interpret what is about, that we're about to study. It's an important uh, introduction because sometimes people can feel that revelation, what a paradox, right? can almost seem to hide more things from us than to reveal things to us. That's not, that's not what it's about. And this is a little sobering and intimidating. Uh, John Calvin, of all the commentaries he wrote, I'm not aware of any that he wrote on Revelation. Martin Luther was so dismayed by the book that in the preface to his German translation, he argued, he actually argued that it be removed from the Bible. <laughs> this is... <laughs> So that's intimidating. So Calvin writes no commentary. Luther's freaked out. And so now Hugh and Alan and Eric and Billy are going to tell us what it's all about. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hugh, talk about the, 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 the humbling ourselves before the Lord. Man, this was one of the ways that God did that this week for me. But God assures us from the very start. He wants to pastor our hearts through the book of Revelation. Because it's not meant to hide anything from a believer, but to reveal all that a believer needs to know about Christ's full and final victory. And all that we're going to face between the cross and the second coming. The war that's going to be there. The, the war, not just the war without, but the war within. And how the victory of Christ at the cross holds sway over it all until he comes again. That's where God is taking us in this. So from the start, we learn what kind of, I'm going to sound like i am got an, an education here. <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking this from all the stuff that I've read and studied this week. From the start, we learn what kind of literary genre that we're studying. Those are great words. It's just, that's, it's, uh, it's not the neighborhood I usually go into in terms of my vocabulary. Um, but this is important because it helps us better understand how we're to interpret the meaning of this book. I, I took Jan to see Spider-Man this, this week. I did. I'm 62 years old. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder, at what age do you stop watching Spider-Man? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Um, my precious wife, uh, she loves to go to these kind of things with my sons because she loves to sit next to them because we don't, we don't really have much of a clue about these, these movies. And she loves to sit next to them and say, especially Josh, Josh, what does that mean? 
does that mean that he's a good guy? Is that a good guy? Or is that a bad guy in Joshua? Jones? Oh, Mom, this, we're in a movie. <laughs> so I thought, how could I serve my wife? And, and, and maybe, maybe I could prepare her. Maybe I could give her a literary genre. Maybe I could help her have some context to better understand Spider-Man. So that not only would she get more benefit out of it and enjoy it more, but that she'd also not talk to me instead of Josh and went through the whole thing. So there's a different, so that maybe some of you did this. So we, well, we, we called our kids. Who else do we call? We called our kids and we asked them, you know, are they, what can we do? Is there some place we can learn about all this stuff? And, and we got inundated with all the stuff to watch or learn before you watch the movie. But you see what it's doing. It's learning that there was a context. I had no clue there were three Spider-Men. I mean, that blew me away. I mean, I, there was, oh. If you, sorry if you haven't seen it. Oh, I just realized. But isn't that true, guys? Think about it. We watch The Lord of the Rings or The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe or, or read Pilgrim's Progress way differently than we would watch or read The Fiddler on the Roof or It's a Wonderful Life that I love to watch at Christmas. The word revelation comes from the word we would know as apocalypse. It's a, an apocalyptic book. Now, our current definitions to, of, of that word typically sound like it's catastrophic. <laughs> so at first that word went, that's not helping me. <laughs> oh great, this is a, a catastrophic thing that we're gonna learn about Jesus. No, that's not what the original intent of this word was. This, this was defined as it was given to us by Christ. If you'll notice, God gave it to Christ. Christ gave it to his angel to give it to John. John gives it to the servants of God. And it was given to reveal or unveil. Apocalyptic means to reveal, to unveil more of Christ to help us grow in intimacy, maturity, and mission for Christ. Revelation is an unveiling of the sovereign rule of God over all things in history and the victory that Christ gives to his people, especially the victory over sin. And, and we all have sin habits that we are just so frustrated because they're so slow to die. Isn't it great to know that Christ has given us victory, not just over the penalty of sin, but over the power of sin? Thank you, Jesus. He's given us victory over Satan and death and the world. All of that for God's people, and he continues to give it this side of the cross and this side of his coming again. And so we're going to take great care to constantly point out the centrality of Christ and his victory at the cross in Revelation. I want to, I want you to ask, I just want to ask you, in, in other studies that you've done in Revelation, I'm, I'm concerned a lot of things that I've heard growing up, that it's like Jesus was kind of actually set to the side. And, and it was all about timelines and where do we fit and all this kind of stuff into this. And well, listen, God forbid we do that. And we're going to work hard to just, just be faithful that every way this book centers us in Jesus, we want you to see it. Here's a, just, a, just a thought that came out of the study in it this week. The victory of Christ at the cross is the greatest victory in Revelation. The victory of the cross is a far greater victory than the victory at Armageddon. But how many times? It's Armageddon that gets the big headlines. Oh my goodness, Armageddon is the fruit of the victory at Calvary. We're going to work hard about those things. And because this is an apocalyptic literature, we're going to learn that Revelation is really not written to us in a sequ sequential, chronological manner, as if to just give us a mere timeline of end-time events. So I'm not going to give you any timelines. I mean, they're, 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 maybe they have a place and a purpose. Here's my heart. My heart is, my heart is so prone to wander. Here's what I've done. Even when there's been timelines of this is, this is the, the, the way that all of the bowls and seals and trumpets and judgments, all this, here's how it falls out. And, and, and here's this time in history. And this is talking about this time. And here, here's the, our time in history. What about our time? You know what? My, my heart is so prone to wander from worship. I love to look at those timelines just so I can put my hope in the timeline more than I put my hope in Christ himself. 
This book, this book is, is not written so much sequentially and chronologically. The book has movement, for sure. It moves us forward to see the victory of, from the victory of Christ at the cross until he comes again. But it's not necessarily a chronology of the end time events, starting with the seals and the trumpets and the visions and the bowls that all must take place at specific times in history before Jesus returns. It's just important, guys, because it's just far too easy to try to interpret Revelation by starting with the times we're living in. And I, I, I dare say that I think maybe half, if not the majority of believers with well-intentioned hearts typically try to take Revelation and here's the times we're living in, here's pandemics, here's Russia, here's China, here's Israel, all these things, and now we try to interpret Revelation by what's going on right now. That's not the way we, that's not the way we interpret the Bible anyway, is it? So we're going to work hard about how this, what this meant to its original audience. That's what we're going to work hard to do. Because we're not going to interpret things about the foretelling of the future, prophecies about the future. Oh my goodness, we are going to err horribly. And your hearts are not going to change unless we do the hard work to learn what did the word mean to those seven churches that we're going to study in a few weeks. Are you with me? Is this making some sense? I hope it's making some sense. The word the theologians have used to help us understand the meaning of the seals, the trumpets, the visions, and the bowls is, is recapitulation. In other words, they're not mainly a chronological sequence of events, but they represent the sequence of how John experienced the revelation that God was showing him. And how God uses each segment of that section as parallel visions to summarize and state the main points he is teaching us. If you're a teacher, parents, what's one of the best parenting tips we could give to somebody? A teacher. What, what does a teacher know that the most important thing about teaching is? Repetition. Repetition. And how many times do moms and dads feel like, I'm failing? Why do you feel like you're failing? Because I'm just having to tell my kid a thousand times a day to clo close the, take out the trap, whatever it is, right? I mean, pick up your underwear. What you, I'm failing. No, you're not. Repetition is winning. That's the way we learn the Bible. And that's how God is posturing this awesome teaching that we're going to embark on. It accentuates the things that the church in all ages must face. And that there's going to be a growing intensity, to be sure, until Christ comes again in full and final victory, that we won't be surprised about that. But, but God wants your hearts not to just know timelines. God wants your hearts to know Him. So that if all hell theologically breaks loose in our lives and sickness lasts longer than we thought or our government goes as wacko as can be and now the church is being persecuted in the United States we know him that's what we know and we're not surprised about all the warfare and governmental hoo-ha and all of these things and we know our victory was won at the cross and will be finished in his second coming. Amen? That's what, that's what we're hoping you'll experience. So read Revelation this week. It takes about an hour. And see if you don't see the Lord showing similar things throughout the book from various angles and perspectives to help ensure that the victory of Christ it reveals is written upon our hearts. That's what God's most concerned about. He's not concerned that you have a timeline. He's concerned that the word be written on your hearts so that you can stand in the day of adversity. That's what this book is about. It's, it's a book to pastor us. Yeah, here's an example. Look, when you're reading through the Bible, Revelation, read Revelation 6 and 16. It's just an easy way to look at this. It's, it's all about the day of God's wrath. Seems to be talking about final judgment and the end of the fallen world as we know it. And it, and it was said in 16. And so when you get it to it in, in chapter 6, when you get to it in 16, um, and you see, well, yeah, a lot of parallelism here. 
But if you're just thinking that this is a chronological thing through world history, it's going to kind of mess with you a little bit because you're going to go, well, wait a minute, I thought the world already ended in chapter 6. <laughs> Why is it ending again in 16? And that's not the only place that that happens. So be noticing that. We, we desire that God write the truths of these of the seals and the bowls and the, and the trumpets, the truth of these things on our hearts to change us and to make us shining lights in what seems like to be an ever-darkening world. So we're going to work hard, this is in your notes, to not interpret revelation according to current events, but face current events by having the victory of Christ from the cross to the second coming written on our hearts. That's a promise we're making to you. Second point is Revelation is as much a book of prophecy fulfilled as prophecy foretold. And I think that's, that's another error in how we go about studying it. We think it's all about the future. It's all about that end time right before Jesus comes again to consummate his kingdom in all of its fullness. So to interpret and understand and apply and teach the Bible in a God-honoring, soul-sanctifying way, we need to do the hard work of seeking to understand, I'm going to say it again, what God originally intended the Scriptures to say to the original audience, which at first tells us to interpret the, even the word prophecy. And even, even, so even in those first three verses, this is something that's near. How do we interpret near? It's, it's something that's going to happen soon. Okay, guys, well, it's been about 2,000 years. How do we interpret those things? Is there some way that we're supposed to understand them? Yes, there is. There is. So what do we do? We go back to what did it mean to the original audience? And that means the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Seven's going to be a number that we're going to come across a lot. And we'll see that those seven churches, really, it's a number of completion. Of, it's, they, they represent the churches of all times between Pentecost and the second coming of Christ. The common struggles, the common battles, the things that you and I are facing now, we're going to find a real identification with when we study the seven churches. So this is, this is Asia Minor, it's modern-day Turkey. We, we can't just first ask, what does the Scripture mean to us today? What does it mean to me right now? So, Alan has helped me so much with this. this. So we, we, here's what we do. We, here's our town. Here's Midland. So what we want to be faithful to do as we study this book is cross what, what, um, what scholars have called the principial bridge, helping us to try to interpret and make sure we're preaching the Bible in its context. So we're going to go back across that principial bridge not to our town. We're not going to seek first to see what it means in Midland. We're not just going to seek first what it means right now for me. We want to see what it meant in Asia Minor. We want to see what it meant to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Okay, so we're going to really do, work hard to do that. And then here's the blessing of that. God's going to be showing us timeless truths, timeless promises, life-changing scripture that we can then come up, we're going to take these principles, right? Eternal principles from God's word. And we're going to go back over the bridge. And now in Midland, we know how to apply them. Now in our hearts, does that make sense? We actually know how to handle that now in our hearts. It's not just some mystery. Again, revelation is to reveal something to us, to pastor our hearts, to know Jesus and love Jesus more and serve him with greater abandon. So, Alan, thank you so much for that. And I know that didn't just come from you. I can't remember the, the author's name of the book that we read. Um, uh, we can get that for you. If anyone's interested in learning more about that, that'd be a great read for you. So, what we would learn is that the seven churches of Asia Minor would have first experienced the book of Revelation as prophecy fulfilled before it was prophecy foretold. Which means we need to grow in what? Our understanding of the Old Testament. So we actually need to not just go across the bridge to their town. Uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago in Asia Minor, we actually need to go back to Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah and more. That's where we need to go back to if we're really going to understand. 
If we don't understand all that was going on in the Old Testament and the prophecies that were given then and how so many of those prophecies have already been fulfilled, we are sure to misinterpret prophecies about the future. I just guarantee you. And I've just experienced it. And I bet you have too. There are about 500 examples, references, or imageries from the Old Testament in Revelation. That's about 70% of the book. Listen, be honest. How many of you, when you've read through Revelation, have done the hard work of going back and cross-reference? Oh, oh man, this is Daniel. Okay, go back to Daniel. It will be worth your while, and it'll be good for your soul to do that. About 70% of the book deals with imagery or scriptures or references to the Old Testament. I saw, have you ever seen beautiful artwork from a distance? And you thought, wow, it just looks like this seamless piece of artwork. So cool. But then you got a little closer and you were amazed even more by when you saw it more up close and personal all that went in, all the facets that went into making it, the artwork that it was. So, this is, I have an exciting life. On Sunday nights, I unwind by watching Texas Country Reporter. It's exciting, right? Don't you want to be my friend? I just so want to be Billy's friend. Um, and they had this thing on about this guy that did this amazing artwork. And, 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 and what he did was cities would, would hire him to come and either on a billboard or on a building and do this amazing piece of art to kind of beautify and update and, you know, revitalize cities and neighborhoods and things. And, and so, sure enough, you guys, it was awesome. I mean, they just showed it from a distance. It was beautiful. And then the host, you know, says, come on, come on, let's get a little bit closer. And they get closer. And you know what it was made of? Sticky notes. It was made of sticky notes. So this thing, it was already beautiful from a distance. But then you get closer and you go, how in the world? Look at this. This is amazing. All these sticky notes. I think he stapled them, though. I don't think he just relied on the sticky. I think he stapled them. Guys, this, this book of Revelation is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Just, just face value. It's a masterpiece. But if you'll get a little closer, do you know what the, the sticky notes of Revelation are? The Old Testament. And that's when it's, this book will become even more beautiful to you. So, for example, when we read Revelation was given to show God's servants what must soon take place in verse 1, or the time is near in verse 3, we can't just rush to interpret that as Christ is coming, and he's coming during our lifetimes, it may be tomorrow, you better get ready. Isn't that pretty much how we've learned Revelation? Has that changed your heart? Man, it's like the driver's ed things I saw when I was a kid. And the last driver's ed thing was this movie of horrible car accidents. That was the last word of driver's ed. Why? To try to scare us into driving well. You know how long I drove well? Maybe two days. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Oh, my goodness. So, guys, we, what, we don't want to just rush to interpret it as to what it means for us today. What it means for the seven churches. Well, did you notice we taught Daniel before we taught Revelation? That was, God gave us that. We are, we're so amazed at the, the way God opens doors for us in terms of trying to, to, have the preaching diet that God wants us to have. If you remember in the book of Daniel in chapter 2, there was a statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And those metals represented the kingdoms of Babylon, the Medes and Persians, Greece and Rome. And, And then do you remember that there was this small tiny stone that came out of nowhere, seemingly, came out of nowhere, almost like an incarnation, but with a stone, right? I mean, so be thinking of Jesus. Be thinking of Jesus, born of a virgin. Be thinking of Jesus as a fetus in a womb. This tiny stone that comes, and here's this this statue representing the most powerful kingdoms on earth, and that stone comes and devastates the statue. And then the stone becomes this mountain that ends up covering the whole earth. 
that's being fulfilled in what the, the writer's talking about right here in Revelation. Um, Daniel was told to seal up the prophecy for a later time. It, th this time will come later. If you'll notice, when we get down to the end, John is told not to seal up this prophecy because the time is now. The time is here. What time? The end times. The end times. I'm not sure what your concept of the end times is, but Christ's death and resurrection and the birth of the church at Pentecost began the end times. So the ch seven churches were living in the end times. These were the last days in reference to Christ already having come and conquered sin, death, Satan, and the grave. I, just hell, all of you throw it all in there. He'd already conquered these things, and he's already inaugurated and launched his kingdom. That's, that, that's, that, that's, it, that's the mountain that's growing to cover the whole earth, to reach people of all ethnicities before Jesus comes again. It's just so cool. So that's, what, that's, that's how the people in Asia, that's how they're receiving this. It's not like it's soon to come, like in the future. It's essentially saying the time is nigh, the time is now. It's already here. It's already arrived, and it's moving forward in victory. And so, so we're going to see with, the, with all of the prophecies, there's going to be a lot of symbols. So I'll give you a clue from the very beginning. How are we going to interpret the symbols of Revelation? <laughs> We're going to interpret them symbolically, okay? That's, okay, meaning it's pointing to and illustrating truths from God's Word, promises in God's Word, principles of God's Word, the spiritual warfare and the realities faced by every believer in church. So we're not going to interpret symbols literally in Revelation. We're going to interpret symbols as symbols, for instance, if I tell you we are going to go see the Longhorns attack the bears, hmm, what does that mean? It'd be helpful to know if I'm speaking literally or symbolically because there's a big difference, isn't there? Especially if I'm inviting you to a college football game between Texas and Baylor. I think Baylor would win right now, don't you think? I think, yeah. anyway, that's not necessarily, that's totally irrelevant. So, guys, we're not going to be interpreting the locusts with men's faces as Russian tanks and helicopters. That's not what it meant then. We need to know what it meant then so that it will change our hearts for how we stand strong and courageous today. So God uses symbols in Revelation much like Christ used parables they're mainly aimed at Christians who are likely drifting or had fallen asleep to God, but were very much awake to the world. These symbols, these parables, they're called to wake us up. They're called to wake us up, both to the comforts that God wants to give his people, as well as the warnings that God is giving his people about preparing for battle. We need to look back to understand the prophecies that were fulfilled as the basis for understanding and applying the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. So prophecy, as I said before, it's to pastor us, not just predict things for us. I just so want you to, if there's anything I want you to go away with today, I want you to go away with this fresh sense of God's personal love and care for your soul and how he longs to pastor your heart with the book of Revelation and how your pastors we don't want to preach you through revelation. We want to pastor you through revelation. A quote by James Montgomery Boyce. Prophets, this is in your notes. Prophets speak to the present in light of what is to come. And they call for repentance, faith, and changes in lifestyle. They, even the prophecies are meant to pastor us. Last point is this. Revelation is a letter written to churches who were ready to give up give in or grow weary cup of coffee moment where are you in those three things where are you with all that is oppressing you and opposing you where are you ready just to give up and let it win 
Where are you being tempted to just go backwards, to, to, to pursue the idol that has had such a place in your heart, and you're just ready to give in to the temptation? How many of you are weary? And you've been trying to do God's work in God's way, but it doesn't seem like it's doing much. Sure doesn't seem like it's accomplishing much in my life or in my marriage or in my parenting or in my church, in my pastoring, in my vocation, my education. You ever grow weary of well-doing? Welcome to Revelation. Welcome to how God wants to pastor your heart through Revelation. And I think this is perhaps where we're going to see the book of Revelation shine most brightly as a book to pastor us and not just prophesy to us. Because it's not just apocalyptic, it's not just prophetic, it's an epistle too. It's a letter written to weak and broken and needy churches. That's us. If you're visiting with us first time, we've just described Sovereign Grace Church to you. Aren't you just excited to come back again? We, we are not all that. And to the Sovereign Grace people, can you say amen? amen. We are not all that. There's a lot more that's broken about us sometimes, it seems, than noble about us. And we need Jesus greatly, like we sang this morning. And it says that, John says that those who read it, hear it, and keep it will be blessed. So it's a letter written to all the people that we've just talked about, starting with the seven churches in, in Asia Minor. We'll see this in the weeks ahead, but Revelation immediately... Revelation immediately shows us Jesus walking the resurrected lamb, victorious over sin and death and Satan. We're going to see this in a couple weeks. But it shows us Jesus himself personally. This, this is not Michael. This is, this is not Gabriel. Jesus himself moving among and within his churches. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're broken. And he's there to heal and equip and empower and transform us. Not one that he has saved will be lost. And it's just this beautiful picture that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us as we walk through Revelation He's using every bit of our trials to bless us toward greater faith and godliness until he comes again. Guys, I know, yes, there is suffering. So we're not rose-colored glasses here at Sovereign Grace Church. There's suffering and pain, and we know it well, don't we? But here's what Revelation is intended to do. He wants us to know even better the greater reality of the victory that Christ already gave us at the cross. The victory that he's not going to let us go in the battle. And the victory that he's coming again to, to usher us into a future, an eternal future that we can't even begin to dream or imagine how wonderful it'll be. Where are you more? Are you more familiar with where you're hurting, where you're sick? There's so many people sick. Those of you watching live stream, we love you to pieces. Wish you were here. We're praying for your healing. But even more, we're praying for you know the triumph of the Lamb. That's what we're really praying. In everything that we're facing, that's what we really want to do. Here's a beautiful quote by Dennis Johnson that'll kind of bring us to, to our conclusion this morning. He says, it's in your notes. Our interpre interpretation of revelation must be driven by the difference God intends it to make in the life of his people. If we could explain every phrase, identify every allusion to the Old Testament scripture or Greco-Roman society, trace every interconnection and illumine every mystery in this book, get this, and yet we're silenced by the intimidation of public opinion, terrorized by the prospect of suffering, enticed by affluent Western culture's promise of security and comfort and pleasure, well, then we would not have begun to understand the book of Revelation as God wants us to. 
always, in every age and place, the church is under attack. Our only safety lies in, in, in seeing the ugly hostility of the enemy clearly and clinging fast to our champion and our king, Jesus. Oh, no, I almost want to just applaud that. I just, yes, that's what's on our hearts as your pastors. We so want your hearts to be pastored by this book, to have greater intimacy with Christ, growing maturity in Christ, and a growing, un unstoppable mission for Christ, even if it costs us our very lives. Eric, why don't you bring the team? Um, I, th I think I have time to read this. Uh, would you open, would you go to Revelation 4? I'm going to give us just, I, I, I'll try to give us some real time sense of how Revelation can strengthen our souls in regard to our, our hearts being secured in Christ and living in the victory of Christ. So would you stand with me right now? Let's read this while standing. This is Revelation beginning in chapter 4. And I want you to be looking, what, what, what is going to stand out to you about this chapter? And, and then we'll go into chapter 5 as well. They're pretty short chapters. But I want you to be looking for repeated themes. Because that's what we're going to do, the hard work here. Of how to interpret and understand revelation. And repetition is huge. Here we go. Thus says the word of the Lord. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne, am I, I'm giving it away. The, uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but I'm, I'm, giving the word, I'm giving it away. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden jewels on their heads, golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So guys, 17 times. The, God saw fit to accentuate the throne, the throne, the throne. And yet, so often, we're going, oh, what about those creatures? The creatures, the creatures. Oh, my goodness. The creatures in, in, in chapter 4 exist to point us to the one seated on the throne. And what is the throne representing? That God is sovereignly ruling over everything. So back at that time, he was sovereignly, sovereignly ruling over Nero, a Caesar, and Nero, and Domitian. He was sovereignly, none of them were ruling. God was ruling. And, and that sovereignty is your security. So please take that home. God's sovereignty is your security. You see how Revelation pastors our souls. And now let's keep going. Let's go from sovereignty to victory. Chapter 5. And then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll 
written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, look at past tense, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, the centrality of Christ and his cross and resurrection, right? And with seven horns and with seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals for you were slain, past tense, and by your blood you ransomed, past tense, people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a king and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. You see the victory of Christ over sin and Satan and death and hell. It's, it's been won. And he's promising us that he's coming again to bring it in, to, to consummate it, to bring it in all of its fullness in ways we can't even begin to dream or imagine. And because he was worthy to open the scroll, the, the scroll that God gave to him, back to chapters one, verses one through three, God gave the revelation to Jesus. Here's the scroll being passed to Jesus. Jesus is the one worthy, not David, not Elijah, not Moses. None of them were worthy to open the scroll. The lamb that shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins was worthy. And he opened the scroll right there. He's, so don't think that, I don't think it means that. So I wonder where Jesus is in the timeline. What seal is he about to open? He opened it already. And you know what it tells us? God's plan to advance his kingdom is unstoppable because he already won the victory at the cross. That will pastor your soul. Derek.